Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Now, it does me great pleasure to take a moment to officially introduce our guest co-host for today's Intentional Conversations podcast. I'm so excited that she is the one that's going to be kicking us off for 2024. And if you're new to our podcast community, you know that what we like to do is take some time to read the official bios. I want you to know the accolades, the credentials, the lived experiences um, that our guest co-hosts show up to the conversation with. And so today will be no different. Shante S. Borton. Bringing mindfulness to the workplace, Shantae, head of DEI, strategy, and wellness facilitator at the Norfus Forum and co-host of the What's the DEIL? What's the deal? Podcast takes an approach to DEI informed by her work as a trauma-sensitive wellness facilitator and yoga teacher. Prior to her work as a health and wellness facilitator, Shantae was an exceptional project manager whose capabilities included strong analytical planning and organizational skills. She used those skills to direct change management initiatives that required fast-paced execution for various companies, including Universal Music Group and SoulCycle. Shantae merges her professional background with her highly developed understanding of energy and empathy dynamics to help businesses develop mindful DEI strategies that align with their values and with corporate culture. So right now at this time, what I want to invite each of you to do as part of our podcast community is let's find those emojis, find those words of affirmation. And as I stop sharing my screen, I am going to add to the spotlight our guest co-host today, Shantae Gordon. And I'm going to give her a chance to greet this audience in her own way. So yes, yes, yes. Let's let her know how much we appreciate her time. But Shantae. Now that I've read your bio, one of the things that traditionally we always do is we invite our guest co-host as they are thinking about how they may want to lead in sharing with our community. We ask that they consider sharing something that we would not know about them from reading and hearing their bio or from even looking at their LinkedIn profile. And so share something with us. It helps us to get to know you a bit better. But welcome, my friend, and thank you so much for being here. Happy thank New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nikas. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and be in community with everyone. Um, happy New Year to everyone. Uh, hopefully, the year, I know we're just in the first week, so hopefully it's off to a really great start. Wow. Uh, thank you for the intro. And let's see, something that you all would uh, not know from just, you know, my socials or anything like that. Um, wow. Well, let's see. Uh, well, I don't know. Gosh, my family is, um, I am, I'm a native, I guess I was born in Miami, native Miami. And for the time that I was born here, that wasn't really a thing. Cause as you know, Miami is a very, it's an immigrant city. And it so is. Uh, most people, uh, our families are from other places. So I'm a, I'm a, but I was born in Miami for uh, Jamaican ancestry and fun fact, I actually can't speak Patois, which is something that I I'm kind of bummed about, but, um, you know, growing up, mom didn't allow us. She wanted us to assimilate. She didn't allow us to speak slang or patois. And so unfortunately I cannot, but that does not diminish in any way the fact that I am Jamaican culturally and I embrace it and that's who I am. So 
<laughs> I love that. No, that is a great tidbit. And I've also heard others to express similar sentiments. And so I love the fact that you were able to follow that up by saying, yes, there's there's no negating though. This These are my roots. Here's, here's who I am. And so, um, yes, I very much appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Shante. And um, one of the things out that we like to do on the Intentional Conversations podcast, I mean, even though we have lots of time to kind of delve into some, some set questions that I definitely want to engage you on, you know, I feel it's always appropriate to take a moment just to pause and think about what's top of mind for a lot of people, especially those who are um, in this space, whether as a practitioner or as a champion and an advocate. And we've had some big news this week that's been certainly um, circulating across all of the, the media. And um, I, I just feel like we need to take a moment to just acknowledge it and, and to be in community to hold space for whatever thoughts could be coming up. Um, and for those of you who are maybe trying to, you know, uh, think, what could she be talking about? I think everybody's probably catching on. But yes, it is the news of um, the the former um president of Harvard University um, stepping down and resigning. Um, and it has come as news that's not necessarily surprising to a lot of us, but yet and still many of us are grieving that decision, but in very much support of um, Dr. Gay. Um, but then it also brings up a lot of other bigger issues and, and concerns that are quite valid. And so, um, you know, I just want to leave space for you, Shante, to share what's what's been coming up for you this week as you've been following the story and the news and as you've been maybe in community with those that um, you often um, find as, as some, you know, being a thought partner in your network. Yeah. And thank, and thank you for acknowledging what is right now mm -hmm. in the space and in the in, in the world. And, and it's tough because this seems to be like a constant, just one news story after the next of of what's happening in the work that we do and in the world that we are in um, as it relates to particularly like DEI work or um, culture work, right? So it's, you know, one more, one more kind of punch in the gut. It's unfortunate that, you know, this highly uh, accomplished woman um, is having to move through this in a, in a very, in this way. Um, but it does highlight to me the fact that unfortunately, you know, those of us who have been one of very few, those of us who have been, you know, in those spaces where we get to a certain level and we get questions on things that anyone else probably wouldn't get questioned on, or we get scrutinized in ways that others maybe not wouldn't, wouldn't get scrutinized on. And you have to, you know, it's it's the thing of dealing with that, but also what else is at play? Because there are there are micro um and macro and macro elements at play here. And so there are a lot of factors that contribute to these things. But what I appreciate about this situation is that, you know. Some folks are like, she should stick with it. She should just fight through it. And then others, you know, she's taking the right up. You know what, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, nope, I'm not dealing with this. And I love yeah. the, the choice here, right? Yes. We, still have yes. we still have choice. We can still say, you know what? No, no, I'm saying no <laughs> to this. Yeah. So that I can say yes to myself, right? And yeah. so, um, you know, a lot of us, again, in those positions feel like we have to take the weight of the world on and that we are because we are in these positions that we need to, um, represent in a certain way and show up in a certain way. And I love the opt-out, honestly. I love saying, nope, I'm not, not I don't have it. I, I can contribute and show up in the world in other ways and ways that are more maybe aligned with who I am, maybe ways that are more in flow with how I need to move in the world. Maybe yeah. this is for a reason, right? I'm not going to fight this. And so I, I really appreciate that aspect of it. Um, again, we can go into the political things. We can go into the 
the social things that that are also at play here. But but I really want to focus on the individual and her just being like, you know what? Nah. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm right there with you, Shantae, right there with you. And, you know, to your point, one of, you know, I haven't haven't spoken a lot about it. I've been um really um just kind of sitting with it. And but the the one um post that I did share, my sentiments were quite similar to yours in that um there's no shaming, there's no guilting, there's no blaming. Um I think that everyone has to assess their own situation and determine what their emotional capital is to be able to endure being a trailblazer. And that's not necessarily um, in the DNA of, of every person. And um, I'm just glad that we all do have that choice. And what I hope and what I've been seeing is that while there have been maybe some folks who have thought about, well, why quit, stay in there, continue to fight? Um, we don't know what we would do if we were someone else's shoes. And so I am always of the belief that we need to support when people decide that their their mental health, their peace is is not to be compromised or at risk for for something that they don't deserve. And so I am I'm totally in favor of um, her taking whatever type of rest and time she needs. I hope that she's getting um, the support that she feels like she needs right now. And, you know, what, how unfortunate it is that this, again, sends another message of how devalued um, Black excellence and particularly Black women are in the workplace. Um, and to your point, the scrutiny and the, the sense of having to be superhuman and, um, you know, how there's rarely grace ever extended. And I say that in the context of not to send the message that there was any wrongdoing, because I feel like a lot of folks are finding that as maybe their justification for, you know, right is right, wrong is wrong. But I'm hoping everyone's doing their own research and they're realizing that um, there was no wrongdoing in terms of the alleged, you know, plagiarism. Even the author of the work in which she was alleged of plagiarizing said, no, this is not plagiarism. And so anyway, I just, I wanted to bring all of that to the conversation, but um, yeah, what a time it is for us to continue to fight hard in whatever capacities in which we can to help uplift Black women all over because we all need it, right? We all need it. If you agree with me, I want you folks to please place a purple heart into the chat or into the comment section just to let us know that you're tracking with us on that thought in solidarity. Okay, so Shantae, I want to shift now and I want to talk about you and your journey. Of course, I had a chance to read your bio and, and so the folks have a little bit of, of insight into um, the work that you do and how you show up to this space. But tell us about what led you specifically to um, this work and specifically to the connection point of DEI and wellness. Yeah, um, so I've always... I'm, I've always been more of an introverted, introspective kind of person. So, so a deep thinker, always kind of mulling things over in my head and just, just what, what, what's true, right? What is real in, in, in general, like since I was a kid, right? I, I've always had this, this sense of uh, wanting to know more. Um, and then growing up again, how I grew up being the daughter of, of immigrant parents and first gen and coming over and trying to hold on to that sense of culture, but then being American, right? And how do you bridge that gap? Um, growing in Miami, very, you know, immigrant uh, city and um, a melding of cultures, just getting a sense of people and how they show up in different places and what they're bringing to the environment that they're in. 
Um, I think one of the biggest things that really impacted me as, as a youth growing up was my mother ended up leaving Miami uh, when I was in high school, moving to Houston. And so Miami, we know where Miami is, right? Geographically, mm -hmm. south, but definitely not the South when you think of like Southern cities. And so we moved to Houston and that was my first like real like, oh, okay, so wow, this is this is the South. This is what they talk about in the textbooks. I never I never really directly experienced that in Miami. Like there was there were there were certain things, but it wasn't as blatant and in your face. Like you get to Houston, it's very much like white and black and most Mexican, <laughs> yes. um, you know, Asian. Like it's very much siloed in that way. And I went to a very very diverse high school, and we, you know, we we interacted with one another in school and in and in extracurricular activities. But it was very much you stayed like you were in your groups, um, and so that in a way that was very different from what I experienced in Miami. And I didn't like it. I did not like it because I'm I'm I want to be with the people. I want to be with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to be in community, like all of that. And that, that just didn't, there were limits to that in Houston. And so I, I attributed that to just being in the South and was like, uh, nope, I, I need to, I need to go. Um, and even then this is like in the mid nineties and I'm still like, I ended up being a drum major in high school and was like the first black female drum major. And I'm like, this is the, we're doing this in the nineties still. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I gotta go. <laughs> so yeah. I Going up to school up north, um, I went to Northwestern uh, University in Evanston, Illinois for undergrad, and then uh, Columbia College Chicago for grad school. In undergrad, I ended up be, uh, being an engineering major. And so, um, but even on that campus, it's a primarily, uh, predominantly white institution, a PWI. And so, but there was a very strong um, uh, Black community on campus. And so that helped to kind of give me that, that what I needed in terms of grounding, uh, working through those spaces. And that's very different when you're in this really kind of prestigious academic environment. And at the time, there was no real handholding when I was in yeah. school. It was sink or swim. Yeah. You got to figure yes. it out, like, find your resources and, and get in there. Uh, I was probably on academic probation more times than I wasn't because it was just <laughs> hard, right? Like, I don't, yes. my prepare me for this. Again, first gen, I don't know anything about yes. this. And so, you know, you made it out, <laughs> got got the degree barely, but got it. And so, um, ended up working for a uh, a supply chain company. Um, they had a managerial rotational program that they started, and and I was kind of like the test the test pilot for that, and joined that. And that gave me a background in all parts of the operation: so customer service, purchasing, transportation, logistics, warehousing, through that whole that whole kind of operational circuit. And the last um, leg of that was uh, in warehousing. And I ended up being the um, warehouse manager for uh, a smaller facility out in the north suburbs of Illinois. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you see me, right? Yes. Visibly uh, black woman. Um, and at the time, again, younger. So I'm coming, I'm just like maybe a year or two out, in, like two or three years out of college. So I'm younger. Um, I am of a different socioeconomic class, different education, all, all these things. I'm going into a warehouse environment where for most of us who are, have been in those environments, we know what that is. Men, mostly men, like at that time, no women other than me in the environment. Um, and I think I was the youngest by like 13 years. And I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not the boss. And they're like, ma'am, what? Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> and there was like real, no one, no one didn't think about these things. Like we think about these things now when we're trying to, you know, give people an opportunity to stretch and advance. But yeah. again, here you go, figure it out. And think man, it really woke me. It really opened my eyes to race and class and gender and again, socioeconomic status and education and these things that really those, in, how they intersect in the workplace. And um, that was a very tra traumatizing experience for me because um, I had very little support um, 
because every again everyone was people were like why are you here why is it so-and-so here people the, the whole nepotism yeah. thing happened at that time so my brother's been in the warehouse for this amount of years why doesn't he have that job and I'm just like guys I mean I I don't know <laughs> I got the opportunity right I'm just trying to do the best that I can and so you learn fast when you're when you're with those challenges and and um I didn't I didn't last very long in that role just because I didn't didn't have support, but I did learn a lot about again the things that I mentioned. But I that turned me off completely to supply chain. I wanted to get back to more creative endeavors, so I got my master's degree in arts, entertainment, and media management, thinking, okay, this is more in line with who I am, I'm more of a creative. So I go and work in music um, while I'm in grad school, and I thought this would be more, better aligned with me, who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Yeah. You're dealing with the again the the racism of, uh, you know, you're working black records, but you have white executives telling you what to do and they're not really invested in the culture, right? So it's like, okay, so what are we doing here, guys? Um, you're a woman, so you really don't have that much power when it comes to decision-making. And so you're, again, more of these things and, you know, you try to create opportunities for yourself, but you're you're hitting against these barriers and these blocks. Right. And, and when I'm at, whenever I'm in these roles, I, I speak, I use my voice. So I'm always trying to mm -hmm. highlight it. Something's going on here, or this isn't right, or you're not allowing opportunities, like all the inequities, right? The barriers. I've always championed that. Worked in music for over 10 years, got burnt out on that. And and but while I was working in music, I was I found yoga. And yoga allowed me to really um deal with it, honestly. Like really get into yeah. that body spirit practice. And yoga for me is very much a spiritual practice. Like it it the the, the movement through the body allows me to really get deeper into myself and into my and into my my body, into my mind and soul. And so that helped me, that helped me stay grounded in dealing with this madness of the music industry. Um, so went, spent 10 years in music, decided that enough is enough, uh, wanted to shift gears and wanted to work in the wellness space, holistic wellness yeah. space, trying to be more in line with who I am as a person. Um, so I'm like, great wellness is, I love this. I love how I feel when I'm in these, when I'm in these spaces, let me see if this works for me. Nope. <laughs> Didn't work. Again, these spaces aren't built for a bigger body. They're not built for us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not made for that. And so it's like, okay. Um, but still giving voice to that. We I remember we were working on a campaign, an influencer campaign, and they wanted, you know, they were they were pushing this diversity thing. And then when they showed us the the list of influencers for one of the companies I was working for, I was like, guys, everyone looks the same. There's no variation in hue and skin tone. <laughs> everyone right. looks the same, right? And if you're trying to 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 show that this is a space where everyone is welcome, you gotta actually show that like that's yeah. this, this is yeah. my surgery so that didn't work that didn't last very long um I ended up leaving that corporate gig in 2019 and really wanted to like take a time out and get into me so I, sh I shifted and became more I, I got my yoga teacher's training I, I did my mindfulness certificates I, w I wanted to go deep into that side of it because I was like the real world is way too much yeah, <laughs> I to go yeah. In really like dig into myself and so did that and loved, loved what that afforded me. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about um, um, just the being the, the practice of mindfulness and being present and being aware and, yeah. and self-awareness and being able to see yourself and how you show up in these spaces um, in order to really create more of the environment that you want to be in. And so, and so that's what I ended up working through that and then opportunities came to really work in the diversity equity inclusion space through my the work the woman I work with Natalie Norfus at the Norfus firm she was an employment attorney um and chief diversity officer at RBI which is Burger King Popeyes Tim Hortons and mm -hmm. ended up leaving our corporate jobs at the same day 
And so we took a, it was a fortuitous walk across the bridge one day and we we're like, well, what are we going to do? And so we're, we're doing our things to figure it out. And she got some opportunities to do some training. She pulled me in to do, help her with training. And then that just opened the doors. This was 2019. Um, and so we have a similar work ethic. We have a similar approach to the work. And then in 2020, we all know what happened in 2020 with uh, yeah. murder. And then from then on, it's just been, it's been off to the races. And so for me, you know, first of all, diversity, equity, inclusion, just because I understand I've been in these spaces, I've always yeah. used my voice in this way. And it's like, I wanted to create workplaces that I wanted to be a part of when I was in my corporate career, careers. Mm -hmm. So that really is what um, that drives me in this work is like, what's required here? And I think a lot of what's missing, what was missing from the when I was in it was a lot of the self the mindfulness, a lot of self-awareness, empathy and emotional intelligence that a lot of folks struggle with that. And so in the work that I do in this DEI kind of wellness space, it is that starting with the self, figuring out what's going on here so that you can have the impact that you want to have in the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking us on that journey of understanding what your experiences have been. Um, I don't know if, if you know, this, this community was really paying close attention, but you literally almost, almost named every single ism in sharing your experience. I mean, I've heard nepotism. I've heard definitely the sexism. I heard the ageism. I mean, I heard it all, you know, we've been talking about how you are, um, you know, you have immigrant immigrant parents and, um, you know, the, the challenges there. You've experienced it from A to Z, even like, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the, the the body image images and body shaming that comes oftentimes, especially for like black women who are in spaces of wellness. And so I, um, I couldn't help but to notice that. And it was it was really just telling to me that it is important for us, all of us, but especially as Black women, um, thinking back to our conversation at the top of the hour, to really lean into taking care of self and well-being. And I'm glad that, Shantae, you found that as part of your outlet for being able to navigate some of these really difficult spaces. Um, and so I want to I talk a little bit about your, your first-gen experience, because um, you, you really laid it out for us as how that was really instrumental for you. And, um, and I love the vulnerability of sharing that, you know, I was on maybe academic probation more times than I can count. And the reason that I want to stay there for a second is because you have a couple times referenced today, the sink or swim type of mentality. And while I am glad to know that a lot of higher learning institutions have finally figured out that they need to be very intentional about providing support services for first-gen students for all the reasons that, of course, you alluded to in sharing your story, but I, I can't help but to also wonder that um, about what else needs to be done to really shift this sink or swim mentality, because that is not that is not operating with an equity lens. The sink or swim mentality does not take into account the systemic um, systems of oppression that continue to plague a lot of historically marginalized communities. And I, I would just like for us to spend some time really just addressing how, how do we deal with that specifically as we are working with um, organizational leaders and key influencers that have the ability to help um, shift the paradigm around that sink or swim, each person for themselves type of mentality. Yeah, great, great, great questions. Um, so here's the thing. We... Part of it is again that kind of macro. We were we are in America. We are a capitalist society. Hyper individualism is kind of the, like we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and right. we you know we go about it on our own and we we celebrate the lone wolf kind of like that's just in our culture. 
And, and, you know, if you are a part of a culture that is, is more collective, right. Not necessarily part of the individual um, it's a little bit easier to find that support. So I think part of that is understanding that, that part, when we come into this country um, or when we're in these environments, that is the root. And when we talk about systems, so systems are built on that. Yeah. And so we need to, we, there's an adjustment that needs to happen on both sides. Like it, we're, we're going to try to impact the system and change it, but also we need to, we need to know how the game is played. We need to know, understand yeah. how the yeah. but I think part of it is, is when we talk about equity, which is a great, which is a great way to frame it is that understanding those of us that have that power and are, are in these positions to impact it need to really understand that folks are coming at it from a different starting point. You're coming at it from different perspectives. And so what are the needs of various groups that, that, that you see if someone's struggling with something in a certain area, you know, some or some groups can't speak up. Like it's not it's not within their culture to speak up in certain environments um, or to go against certain things. So it's like you are in a certain position. You see that maybe a group is struggling here. You might have to reach out and be more proactive in that. They're not going to necessarily speak up about it. Or um, it takes a lot of just awareness in in that things mm. are down for people. So that's one side of it. I think another part of it is really acknowledging that the system is working as it's designed, right? It, yeah, this is right. Unfortunately, that's everyone's true. So true. <laughs> everyone's not supposed to get to a certain level. Yeah. Otherwise, the system collapses. And so yeah. I think both we need to temper our um, temper our expectations when it comes to certain things. Um, so that we can play the game how as it needs to be played. And then once we get to certain levels, then we can affect it, right? We can impact it and we can we can put systems in place. Um, I have a friend of mine who is a partner now at, at, at a big law firm. And she she does, she's more of an, she practices inclusive leadership when it comes to this work. She used to do the committee. She used to do all the things. She was like, first of all, I'm not getting paid for that. I'm getting paid to bring some money to this firm. So let me focus on that. So what she yes. does do is, how she staffs her matters. She's very intentional about how she staffs her matters. She is very intentional about who she brings onto her team. She's very intentional about when she's looking for new talent, who does she, who, where can she go where she hasn't gone before? She's constantly, yeah. constantly scouting so that, you know, in, in, within her firm, her team is the most diverse. Um, she's mm -hmm. a Filipina, Filipina and black woman. And so she's very much, very much looking at okay, what are the needs on the team and how can I bring in, br bring in folks from underrepresented groups? And that's not to say that she's not bringing in, you know, white men or white women. There are white men and white women on her team. She's right. looking best and she's looking to broaden the perspectives that are on her team. And so that's how you can work when you get to that level of power, right? That level, right. Of, level within your organization. Until that point, you've got to, excuse colloquialism, peep game. Like you really got to understand and really dissect this and see what's going on. And adjust and move accordingly. Find the resources. Find find you have to do a lot of the work to 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 navigate these spaces. If it's not working for you, you got to find a way. Um, and it, if it means relying on your community, seeking out people that are aligned with you, um, using your voice in certain ways, it, it requires that until you're in a place to change the system. Because again, if we start with from that place of the system is working as it's designed, what is the incentive to change the system for certain people? It doesn't exist. Absolutely. So absolutely as more and more of us get up there, then then we can start to impact change. Yeah, yeah. We have to we have to we have to continue to find ways to allow um people of of, of color and other um, backgrounds that are underrepresented in a lot of those leadership roles to ascend to those roles so that we can change the landscape. 
Um, you know, so so I, I so appreciate that. You, I love words. I love language. And you said hyper-individualism, and that stood out to me. Um, and I have not thought about that as an angle for getting people that maybe are passive about their personal responsibility to equity to kind of join in the movement. And what I mean by that is, you know, we often hear that equity is a choice. It is a choice because we have to first care enough about the fact that full opportunity for success is not within reach for everyone. Until we care about that and we want to see that actualize, I don't think that we are going to find ourselves um, being driven towards um, being being intentional around, you know, again, this equity lens. And so um, I, I just think that that's important for us to amplify. We have to, you know, we have to first care. Do you believe that everybody should have full opportunity for success? Not everybody's going to have success because, again, there's there's a responsibility and accountability on our own personal end. It's not a handout or a concession. But do you think that it's appropriate for as a society us to not be so hyper individualized, but to really believe that everyone should have the opportunity for success, full opportunity for success? And I, I just you know really wanted to amplify that. And I, I really appreciate that because it's funny. I, we we had a client that we were working with that was um it's really interesting. It was it was a lobbying firm and they they had everyone of all political ilks there in the firm. And um one of the the points that came around this equity conversation is it was from someone did some I forget if it was Kamala Harris or someone said something around it so that now people are stuck on this fact that it's equality of outcome. And it's like you can't guarantee that. Because people no. approach the work in different things, but what you can, to the point that you're making, Nika, is opportunity. Does everyone have equal access yes. to opportunity? Can yes. everyone get to get to what they need to get to in order to to, to grab the baton and run how wherever they want to go with it? Right. That's the point of it. So we again, you can't uh, you can't guarantee the outcomes, but you can you can yes. make sure you have the opportunities, and that's where the work is. And but if people are so stuck on 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 or, or don't want to see it. Cause I think there's some will, willful, like, yes. you know, willingness, that willfulness not to like see certain things Like they're so stuck yeah. on wanting to, to, to it to be this so that they don't have to participate. Yeah. There's think, willful ignorance, yeah. there's willful ignorance, but then there's also willful and conscious um, selfishness, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just wanting to absorb and keep all the power. Yes. Yeah. And so those shifts have to happen and it, and it's, and it's, mm. hap it's happening, right. We, but it, you know, it's the thing where you take a couple steps forward, you take a couple steps back. But I think as long as we can yeah. move wrap up and to the right, we're making some progress. Yeah. So we're in the new year. And as we always do as a society, many of us at least, we will pick our one word. We will make resolutions or we will make different commitments. We will assess what do we want, how do we want to show up differently in the new year? And so we're seeing a lot of sentiments being shared across all different social media platforms and just in conversations. And knowing that wellness is something that's a really big focal point for your work and how you intersect um, that with DEI. Um, and, and I just want us to talk a little bit about how what employers should be thinking about right now, uh, because I am sensing, and this has certainly been predicted by some of the shifts um, that we're going to see in 2024 by a lot of the you know workplace HR professionals, but that people are expecting a lot more uh, intentionality of um, employers leaning into individual employees' needs for um, deepened level of wellness and self-care and balance, however in which we may define that. So what, what's some advice that you're sharing with um, 
leaders of organizations that have the ability to kind of influence some thinking that could play a part in what how employees want to show up to the workplace? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think we have to, there's a tight, there's a really tight line that we have to walk here, especially employers, because you are not being called to fix everything. You're not being called to um, have a solution for everything. What What's being asked of you is to more so hold space. And so, yeah. um, you know, certain things you provide, of course, like your wellness benefits and all those things yeah. that you, your HR teams, right? But, but as people who maybe manage people or have to connect with people, it's what are you sensing? What are you? What is happening on your teams? What are happening with, with with the people around you? And it's okay to acknowledge that. Like we are human beings, guys. Like we we all feel, we all we have deep thoughts of things. We all are having a you know maybe we don't know what challenges people are having having in their lives, but everyone's dealing with something. And so I think it's there's a really a really desire to acknowledge people's humanity. And 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 really be in tune with that. Again, not ask you to fix it, but really like hold space for it. And so what does that require? That just requires yeah. active listening and mm -hmm. active listening and just non-judgment. So half the time people just want to know that you that they're seen and they're heard. Right. And if and if you can communicate that to someone and then they can figure a lot of folks are pretty resourceful. They can figure things out for themselves. Um, for the most part, I'd say majority of people are. And so it's just a matter of connecting with people. Can you connect with folks? How do you leverage your empathy and your emotional intelligence to really be with people? Um, not not in a you know in a way that is of service to everybody, right? It serves them because they feel like they can connect and they feel like you see them. But also, it helps in terms of helping them maybe mitigate some burnout that might be may, maybe happening in order for right. you to make activity on your team. So it's not just even all about the person. It's it's you being able to to still perform and produce and meet the expectations of your role because you're invested in people. Um, I think there's like that that prod that um profits, productivity and people. And we're sometimes so focused on the productivity and the profits that we lose the people. And uh, and I think the sh the shift is just asking folks to be in tune with people and seeing them as whole, right? Their mind, body, spirit. And if something feels a little mm -hmm. off, you know, approaching that in a way that's sensitive. Um, but but again, it's more the holding space for folks. So I think wellness looks more like that as opposed to a program or a class or something like that. It's more of like can the connection with people. That is so good. And I'm so glad that you uh, gave that additional context because I do think that a lot of organizations as they start to think about how can we enhance our ability to show up for our employees um, at a higher level and, and they do start going automatically to certain, you know, benefits um, and certain, you know, programs and initiatives to your point. And it's not to negate that those elements do not have value. They do have their place. But I love the emphasis on the human-centered approach of just, again, um, building those connections, those, those high-quality connection points to, um, you know, with, with emotional intelligence to allow people to feel like they are supported, they're understood, and, um, and, and, and they're not judged, you know? And I think that's, I think that's missed um, right now from a lot of organizations. And so I love that you, you brought some emphasis to that. 
Um, okay, so we're going to be shifting momentarily, and I've been kind of watching the chat. Um, I hope you are as well. I see there, there was a resource that was just dropped into the chat. It was, a, it was a book that someone in our community wanted you all to be aware of. Continue to share those resources. I also want to let you know that um, if you have questions or curiosities that you're holding and you want to present them to Shantae, you can do so. Um, you can, if you're on LinkedIn Live, go to the comment section, place your questions there. My team is watching it closely and pulling it over into our, our chat here. If you're live with us on Zoom, then you can use the raise hand feature that lets me know that you're willing for me to spotlight you and invite you to unmute yourself to share. Um, or if you're just here kind of in a listening capacity and you want to place your question into the chat, um, we will make sure we get to them as, um, as as best as we can with the time that remains. Um, so while you're percolating on that, I'm going to go ahead and go to the next question. And this is, you know, continuing with this dialogue around what employers should be mindful of as, as again, we're in this new year and there is there's a shift in how in which in employees are showing up to the workplace in terms of their expectations and their needs. And so um, there are a lot of people that at the start of the year, um, they are probably back in the job force uh, market looking for work after taking time off, either from being displaced or laid off, whether it's from an economic perspective, the market's been fluctuating, or even just maybe since COVID and haven't gotten back in there yet, but now they're ready to return. What are you saying to organizations that will help them be mindful of supporting employees with ease as they are returning to the office, maybe from having been at home for such a long period of time? Yeah, great question. Um, it, it really is about the intentionality. Why? We Because a lot of the employees that we've worked with are like, we've been productive we've you know we've maintained profits we or grown profits in some instances we've done all the things being at home why do we need to come into the office um because for the last x many years we've been able to balance this or integrate this in a way that's a little bit better for us than we have in the past um and there's they, they've taken a little bit more you know uh, some of their agency back right some of their autonomy yeah. power um and they don't want to give that up people don't want to give that up um and so i think employers really need to be transparent and intentional about what, why do we need people to come back into to the office? Um, what is that going to do for us as an organization, for the work, for, for whatever it is that we need to do? And then they need to communicate that. I think a lot of times where the misstep happens is in the communication because you don't get the buy-in of the people that you're asking to come back into the office. And folks need to feel like they're, they, that they get it, that they're bought in. Um, you're asking people to make really big shifts in their lives. Uh, you know, folks maybe with younger kids have been able to, to, to go to daycare and pick up their kids very quickly. Now they may have to commute. That's adding time to their, to their commute. That's now taking them away from their kid. And folks want to be with their priorities have shifted. People's priorities have shifted in the pandemic. Right. Yeah. And so I think if you really want to get folks to uh, participate in, in, in back into the office programs, you really got to communicate the why. Um, and it has to make sense to people as to why we're coming back in. Cause I, I we had one client who asked folks to come in and, and ended up these people who were in the office ended up being on zoom calls with folks, other parts, cause the workforce is distributed. So they ended up yeah. being on calls with, so you're like, but I could have been on a zoom call in my house. Like, why, why am I on a zoom mm -hmm. call in the office? But you know, there's the argument that you don't get the water cooler chat or you don't get those kind of informal points of connection when you're not in the office. Um, which, which, okay. There is value there, right? Yeah. Do we need to, how much of that do we need to have to still do the work that we need to do? And, and what impact does that have on various people? Like, I think you really have to yeah. assess the workforce because some folks 
who are more, again, more introverted work better at home. Some folks who are more extroverted may, may work better when they're in the office. What's the makeup of the population of your employee base? What's required to really do the work well? Um, if you saw some areas of the work that you know you weren't as productive in or you're losing it, some ground in certain areas, communicate that and let people know this is why. But I think the lack of communication and it's more of like the mandate of just come back because we said so, People are like, mm, mm, mm. no, because they're, yeah. I can get another job. I can get, I can do some other things right. that are, that better fit my life and my lifestyle. I don't have to be here. And I think that's, especially with, with some of the younger folks, they are really vocal about, I don't have to do this. Yeah, precisely. They're, they're socializing it very much so. And so for those who are really interested in about keeping um, their workforce options plentiful, they need to be thoughtful about how in which they are showing up to these very specific expectations. And so, no, no, thank you for that. Um, I was part of a conversation recently that I thought was really interesting, but we were talking about how stakes have become even higher for leaders. And, and when I'm talking leaders, I am talking specifically in the context of um, leadership by positionality or title. So those who are people leaders and managers. And, and the, um, the genesis really of the conversation started because to be a people leader today requires so much greater responsibility than it did a long time ago. A long time ago, there was a lot of one-size-fits-all approach kind of management style. And now what we're finding is that the stakes are so much higher because it requires so much more of those people leaders because you're having to individualize your approach in order to really get the best out of all of those who work under your leadership. And so that means it's it's almost like triple double the work. You know, what's working for this person is not going to work for the next person. And so it really keeps you, at least it should be, keeping these people leaders on their P's and Q's and allowing them to um, be thoughtful about how do I upskill now when my leadership has to maybe look a little different across the board, depending upon what the needs are of those individuals that fall under my direct report. And I think that it behooves us as a society to make sure that we are upskilling people um, for that, for the type of workforce that we that we are seeing right now. Um, I'm not seeing any hands up, so I want to go to another question, but continue to percolate you all. And again, put those questions into the chat if you have them, or use the raise hand feature. I'd love to to feature you. Um, but I want to I want to you know talk a little bit about um, the trepidation that um, I am seeing right now across. Um, individuals who are, you know, looking to convince their organizations to not abandon the work of DEI, um, just based upon what we're seeing um, from the, the, the political realm and how it just continues to be um, under attack, you know, in some ways. And I even, I'm hesitating because I even hate using that language because I feel like it's given power to it. And I really want us to have this mindset of, while that may be um, the perception, I think we can overcome that by how which we respond to it. But I do want us to have some healthy dialogue around, um, you know, how, what do we say to those individuals that are really feeling the pressure in a way that could be to the detriment of them continuing to um, champion and support the work? Yeah, um, that's that's tough because we are. It is it's very true. Like we're getting it's being politicized, and it's not yeah. fair because the way we position it at, at the Norfus firm is these are just good business practices. Yeah, absolutely. You want the best talent, and you want that talent to come from a broad spectrum of experiences and backgrounds. Period. That's diversity. 
the equity is you want people to, as we said earlier, you want people to have access to opportunities. You want them to be able to grow. You want them to see like that they can advance in your organization. It's equity. The inclusion is if I'm here, you want me to stay here. You know why? Because it costs a lot of money to replace people in organizations. You know, turnover, you know, to replace a body is what uh, at least six months of a salary or something like that. So it's expensive. Yeah. And people, yeah. People that. So you want to create the container where people feel like they can, they can, they see themselves here and they belong. That's the inclusion part. You want this as an organization because when, if you don't do that well, you you lose people and it impacts your bottom line. You're not as productive as you want. You don't make as much profit as you like. You're not as innovative. You're not as creative. Like all the things that we hear about this. But I think people get so caught up in thinking of not knowing what DEI is because there isn't a real quote unquote standard for it. Yeah. And so people are working off their own definitions of what this stuff is and, and their own perceptions. And it's like, uh, no, again, these are just really good business practices if you want to achieve what you want to achieve. And so you that's why we you really have to align them to your core, your business values your 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 strategy it has to be embedded in that otherwise it's easy for it to get swayed and it's easy for you to lose sight of it is but if you're like no we want best of the best and this is how we get it through this path then then there is no getting rid of it which is because yeah. it's absolutely you know i think about the importance of change management to our work and i think that there is an important place and role for us to pull back out all of the the skill sets you know around change management but do it specifically as it relates to the change that's occurring directly in this space you know from what we're seeing and hearing and so i wonder if you have any thoughts about how organizations can leverage uh, an appropriate and effective change management strategy to help um, their employees to to navigate some of the changes that could be occurring relevant to um, this body of work. Yeah. Uh, a, a big part of change management is communication. Yeah. What's the message and how are you communicating that? Right. So again, why, why does this matter to your organization? Why is it important? How does this align with values and, and strategy and all the things we, you know, we talk about and, and communicate that over and over and over again and double down on it. Right? If this is important to you, you double down on it. And so, and, and, and how, and how do you support people in that? Right. So it's one thing to message it and communicate around it, but then what are the support? What are the supports that people need yeah. in order to really champion it or to really participate in the way that you, you need for your organization. Right. So there's the personal side of it where folks may have a view of it and it may not fit personally their own personal values but if you're working for this organization these are our corporate values and this is how it aligns with our corporate values so you can choose if you want to do it or not because everyone i mean you can get there's an opportunity for you to get other employment if you want but i think organizations really have to get into um talking about it in a way that is assertive in that this it's it's important to us there it's not up for um really debate in terms of whether or not we do this it is really about are we doing this? And this is yeah. how we're, this is how we're supporting you to do this well in within our organization. Yeah, I think back to Shantae when you shared earlier the importance of um, holding space and, and how that is a big part of how employers can show up in terms of um, respecting and honoring, you know, the well-being of their employees. And I think that holding space around this topic of all the changes and and um, that may be occurring, people are, you know, they're, they're, they're holding a lot of curiosities around, you know, what is my organization going to do? We have had a full, you know, pretty firm stand in supporting DEI. So now what does this mean? And so I think that 
that this is really a call for leaders to also be very proactive to initiate the conversation, to hold space for some of you could be concerned, particularly maybe some of you that are part of our organization that belong to some, you know, underrepresented populations. And so let's, you know, send a message of, of getting ahead of that. If, if organizational leaders have not yet had that conversation and expressed their continued commitment, now is the time at the start of the year to do that. And so I just wanted to put that plug out there. So we have a few minutes left, and I definitely want to make sure we talk about the podcast. But I also, before we talk about the podcast, I want to inquire about what was your process, Shante? And I do see a question in the chat, so we'll try to get to that too. But what was your process, Shante, to prepare yourself for 2024? And what I, the reason I'm asking this question, just to provide a little more color around it, is that um, I think that sometimes there are people who may not necessarily allow themselves to think about their well-being in a way that that's pretty radical. And um, you, it sounds like you have fully understood the importance of that to be able to show up at your best. And so what was your process of, as you were thinking about, okay, I'm winding down the year now. So what do I need to do to get myself prepared for the new year? I'm just thinking that maybe that can inspire something for someone else. Cause we're still in the first week of 2024. Yeah. 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 Uh, so um, admittedly, I wasn't that great about it this year, honestly. Um, but typically what I like to do, is, and we, it was just madness, crazy from work and then personal family things were going on. But even within that, it's important to slow down um, as much as you can. Like life happens at a certain pace, but but it's it's the mindfulness. You, How can I stay in this present moment, not get caught up in the future, not get caught up in the past, but stay in this present moment, slow myself down so that I can feel and I can sense what's happening around me um, in order so I can move forward in a way that is that that is better serving for where I am in the moment. And it looks differently in different times. Like all you can do is your best. And sometimes that's really awesome. And you are on it and you're on your game. You're taking all the yoga and you're taking all the meditation and you're doing all the, you know, things that you need to do. And at other times it's like, I'm going to take five deep breaths in my bed before I get out and start my day and went into the, you know, went into the world. So um, it really is, but it's knowing kind of where you are in that. And if you find yourself drifting in a direction that you don't want to want to go in or don't want to be, it's, you have to have the wherewithal to pull yourself back and, and find something in that moment that allows you to ground. Um, and, and, and it's different for everybody. It's different at every time. So that's, that's really, I, it's the constant bringing myself back, come back, come back, come back, um, okay. is, is practice that I'm in. No, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So I'll go to your question from the audience. And this is actually from um, Frances. And her question is this. Another one just popped in. So I'm trying to make sure I get to it. Okay. So she would like for you to discuss the zero sum theory of Heather McGee and how it relates to DEI in the workplace. So um, I want to really, so I don't know that as it relates to Heather McGee, but I'm assuming, and you can all can correct me if I'm wrong, that this zero sum theory is basically like one person's gain is another person's loss is, is I'm assuming yeah. where we're going with this. Um, and so I think that it's not like we're, you have to start from a position of expansion and what is, what is maybe infinite. So if you're looking at it like a pie, of course, if I take a piece of pie, then there's one less piece of pie but it's not a pie. <laughs> We're talking about 
Um, we're talking about opportunities that can help everyone rise. It's more of the, the as water rises in the boats, everyone rises that. So it's not about I, I gain or you lose. It's very binary. So it would require us to kind of move out of binary thinking in that way, which is challenging because binary thinking helps us to make sense of the world. So, um, but it's the mindset shift that has to occur so that you don't see someone moving or advancing as you not getting something, Right. Every, some, that person's opportunity is that person's opportunity. It wasn't necessarily your opportunity to be in that place or else you would have gotten it, right? So these are, it just starts with how are you approaching, um, how are you approaching the work and the world? It's really about your mindset. And if you see it as black and white binary win-loss, you know, then, then that's how you're going to show up in the world and that's how things are going to occur to you. But if you can shift your thinking that that opportunity is for that person, there are opportunities for me, we can all win. There's nothing but abundance here. And again, I may be getting into woo-woo territory, but, but it is, it's that. It's like, how can I shift and think of things more of there's opportunities out here for everyone there as long as I see them that way. And it's really about what's happening in here to me. So I hopefully I addressed that question, but I would love to hear if others had a, a thought on it as well. No, I, I definitely think you did. I also wanted to just acknowledge that when we talk about the zero sum game, I believe it was originally Angela Glover Blackwell that actually coined that phrase and really brought that um, to the fore. But um, Heather McGee, who was phenomenal, I've, I've had a chance to um, to spend some time with Heather McGee and she's, and she's phenomenal. So she's the author of The Sum of Us and she has a couple other books as well, but she also talks about the zero sum game. And so if, if anyone in this community is really interested in digging into that deeper based upon what Shante has shared, um, would, would certainly encourage you to check out those two individuals as, as a resource. So fortunately, we are out of time to, today, but I want to be able to have you close this out in a way that um, feels appropriate for you. But I hope that you will tell us just a little bit, maybe 10 or 15 seconds about your, your podcast, which I did mention when I was reading your bio, but what's the deal, D-E-I-L. And let me just take a moment to thank you before I turn it over to you. We really appreciate your time um, today, Shante, and sharing with us kicking off our first intentional conversations of 2024. And so I'll give you the last few seconds to close this out. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. What's the deal is a, is a podcast for organizational leaders and those who support them on their journey on this DEI journey. Cause again, it's not a destination. It is a journey and it's constantly evolution, evolving and growing. Um, and so we offer really quick, um, practical tips on how to approach DEI and apply DEI into your workplace. So if you can just uh, you can find us anywhere. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on YouTube. Um, just search what's the deal. If you go to the norfusfirm.com and hit podcast, it's there as well. And yeah, we we want to keep it simple and practical and, uh, and and talk more about what I what I shared earlier, which is good business practices around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So um, thank you to everyone. I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, the comment that John posted from Brianna Blackwood Mallory. Um, yeah. I know we won't have time to address it here, but Brianna, if you want to, um, if you want to message me on any of the channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever, I'm happy to have a conversation with you, uh, because it is, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating one. So I would love to go over there with you, but I know we don't have time now. And thank you everyone. Really happy to be here. Anika, thank you so much for inviting me. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Everyone have a great, great year. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend, a safe weekend. Bye-bye.